Hello and welcome to Contemporary Cage, an informed and expert look at the latter half of Nicolas Cage's contemporary filmography. On today's episode, we're watching the 2019 film Color Out of Space. Derek. Ho-ho! Derek, welcome back. Um, you son of a bitch. Another week and another of the Cage Man, and uh, just a little current event. I know that this is going to be posted, uh, you know, a good while in the future, maybe mm-hmm. like a month or so down mm-hmm. the line, but yeah. currently we are, and I'm sure we will be in some form or another, dealing with the coronavirus. And Derek, I don't know if you've had this thought, but I can't help but think, what would the cage man do? What would he do? If he had Corona V? <laughs> Not if he had it, but if, I'm just imagining, you know, Cage has been in, in films like Knowing. Yeah. Uh, he's been up against global threats before, and he's always come out on top. David, those are fictional characters. I think he could, I think he could do something. <laughs> yeah, he could wash his hands like everybody else should. That's true. Everyone, be. I hope that you're out there washing your hands. Hey, guys. you know what? Washing your hands because of coronavirus is like getting your wife flowers because it's Valentine's Day. You should just do it every day. Just do it. You don't need an excuse. That's really true, and that's really good advice. Um, I also, I only wash my hands once a year on Valentine's Day also. so <laughs> We all know why. It's a good lesson for me to learn. Um. Yeah, no, are you, uh, but yeah, my hands are a little uh, a little uh, dry now. I'm washing them so much. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I mean, you also are pretty close to the one year you do wash. It's only been a month since Valentine's. That's true, yeah. There's still, I'm still riding out that last wash. I think they'll be clean for another <laughs> another little while. Gross. Um, riding out that gross. last wash is Ro- the second that last wash. song on my titular album, Enter the Derrick. Oh, love it. Um, can't wait for that to drop. Is that out? <laughs> <laughs> that dropped the same day as the coronavirus, actually, which is weird. Oh, wow. That's tough because Unrelated. a lot of people are not going to be wanting to go to Amoeba. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> oh no. That's um, been our show, folks. That's been it. But yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm hope I'm, you know. Uh, yeah, go ahead. President go Trump ahead and put has- words together. <laughs> <laughs> President Trump has trusted uh, Mike Pence to take care of the coronavirus for us. He's he's heading up the operation. I think it was a mistake. I think put Cage in there. I think Cage gets it done. I think uh, Pence should just lateral it over to the Space Force. and <laughs> That would be cool. <laughs> They'd probably have a neat uh, novel approach. Probably something with lasers. Um. Yeah. Definitely something with lasers. A lot of blasting away. Just these guys blasting away all the time. Um, but I yeah, I don't know if uh, I like that tone. That's our first. <laughs> How dare vice. you respect the honorable <laughs> troops of the space force? <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Speaking of face, space force and viruses. Ooh. The color. Did you space. did you have a segue, or you well, were teeing me up, hoping that I could? Segue? I'm I'm just looking at a bunch of Google images from the color out of space, and 
Oh, okay. Yes, very, Somewhat very good. Related. And I'm glad that you you brought up Color Out of Space. Normally, we would have another segment in before we get into it, but today it is Color Out of Space week here on Contemporary Cage, one of his newest, hottest movies. This is one that uh, people are talking about. People are are uh, going, you know, this is, this is sort of the, since Mandy, I think this is like the next big Cage movie, Cage moment. People are uh really watching this one very so, contemporary very cage. very contemporary so we have a special themed edition of cage facts that are all related to color out of space oh we have some color out of space facts um well and one false so welcome to cage facts what are these fucking iguanas doing on my coffee table they ain't no iguana yeah there are there ain't no iguana what the fuck is that? Fucking All right, Derek. Uh, and as the listeners, of course, know, unless you're tuning in for your first episode, Cage Facts is a segment that we do here where I give Derek three different statements. He has to determine which of them are true and which one of them is false. Two of them are going to be true. One of them is going to be false. Derek's got to use that noodle, use that noggin. And uh, season one, really bad at this game. Season two... Yeah undefeated perfect a record. perfect record a perfect record so far a perfect record I, w- this is our eighth episode i don't know if we've played every single episode by but, now uh, the year is 2024 <laughs> yes <laughs> um but yeah you're doing great let's see if you can keep it up this one might stump you yeah i don't think so okay here we go uh and again this is color out of space theme so each of these relates some way in uh to the movie that we watched this week mm. Fact number one. According to Madeline Arthur, who plays uh, Nick's daughter in the movie Color Out of Space, during the filming of Color Out of Space, Nick frequently talked about how great it would be if a meteor shower was taking place and would spend his time watching for shooting stars, which he would celebrate and said helped energize his performance. So that's our, that's our first fact. Uh, number two. At one point in their lives... Both Nicolas Cage and director Richard Stanley, who's the director of Color Out of Space, went on a search for the Holy Grail. (laughs) Number three. Cephalopods are a frequent element in Lovecraft stories, and apparently Nick also has an appreciation for the tentacled creatures. He once spent $150,000 on one in the hopes that it would help his acting. So those are our three facts. How is that connected to acting at all? I mean, Dave. I mean, this is the cage man, buddy. You honestly, know that you can't just like logic your way out of this. Anything you know, with him spending lots and lots of money on just ridiculous things, those are always end up being true, which makes me think this could be the perfect plant by you. <laughs> yeah. So again, we have uh, cage wishing for a meteor shower and celebrating shooting stars, going on a search for the Holy Grail, and owning a octopus that he hoped would help his acting. I don't like how you made unceasing eye contact with me during the octopus one just now. (laughs) Everything else you were looking away. Um, I also don't like how vague these are. I feel like you're cheating. And I just want to put that out there that this one doesn't really count if I get it wrong. Are are they are they that vague? 
They went on I mean, a quest the for the Holy Grail. Vague. But that's what you got to deal with. I'll give you some. I'll give you some background on any of them after the game. But all it is is the fact, baby. These don't. These are not facts. These are all facts. Well, not all of them. <laughs> Except for one of them. Um, <laughs> I think somehow I don't know why, but the Holy Grail is locked in is true. Um, okay. Don't know why. Uh, the money thing, those always end up being true. Uh, the meteor shower thing is really cute. Um, could be one of those times where I say, I'm going to go with this one, but either way I win because I hope it's true. But if it's false, I win. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you like to sort of couch your bets sometimes where you're like, oh, this is the one I hope is true, uh, but I'm going to go with this one. And if it's wrong, at least uh, the other one is true. Is he? Does he really have that much of a childlike spirit, a youthful spirit that resides within him that he would get excited about shooting stars and bring the whole cast into it as a as a bit of a ritual? Mm. I mean, these are the questions to be asking. That's that's the cage. See, I don't know this man. I've been talking about him. I've been thinking about him. I see him in my dreams, but could he have done that? Maybe he's losing his mind. Maybe I am. <laughs> oh, no. Derek's going too deep H. into P. the Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. Hole. Um, <laughs> and it is a hole. Let me guarantee you that. Uh, Madness is taking over. I will say that uh, he bought an octopus to help with his acting. What the hell? why is the grail so normal to me i guess this is the (laughs) man that did national treasure that's sort of my that was my initial point like you can't you can't look solely for just oh that's so ridiculous that can't be true because we know by now we've played this enough where it's like the most outrageous possibilities are can be true about so it. i'm gonna say grail's true i think that first thing about the actress i feel like that's such a interview q a kind of thing that would be published that she would have said like behind the scenes you know so i'm gonna okay. say the octopus is the fake one ladies and gentlemen we got him no! derek you are incorrect <laughs> <laughs> so uh he did the holy get an grail, octopus to help his acting the holy I grail. <laughs> and the octopus are both true uh let me go into a de- okay so that means the the cute anecdote is one of my own invention oh and i was i was i was kind of just like you know let me do something that's normal that's sweet uh isn't this wild thing uh but a fun you know a fun thing to imagine and i should have yeah, said he, that He went in search of the Holy Grail at one point in his life, Uh, and uh, it was very, very interesting. Like, I I don't know how, I don't know how like active that search was. He said that he started reading in one book, and then another book is referenced. So then he gets that. um, Yeah, I'll I'll read a couple quotes in regards to his uh, quest to find the Holy Grail. Please, please do. Um, Okay, so this is IndieWire.com from an article, uh, one of their articles. Um, 
Cage reveals to reporter David Marchess that he once went on a real-life quest to find the legendary Holy Grail. And then this is a quote from Nick. That was the time when I almost went on, you might call it a grail quest, Cage said. I started following mythology, and I was finding properties that aligned with that. It was almost like national treasure. Of course, that didn't sustain. Uh, He then goes on to, uh, you read a, a book, and in it, there's a reference to another book, and then you buy that book, and then you attach the references. For me, it was all about where was the grail? Where is it? Was it, wh- Where is it? <laughs> is it in Glastonbury? Does it exist? He's getting, like, charged up. Uh, yeah, and then he goes on to, like, go very, very deep into, like, where he thinks the actual grail was. But I thought that was very funny. I honestly, like, I do know this man better than I thought because that one was, like, I just so believe that he would be into that and that yeah. he would have the both the time and the money to be able to just like actually do real research into potentially finding the grail and like I should have known I was too hopeful to think that Well he you was... were right about that one. You thought that was real. No, I know. And I, I was yeah. too hopeful to think that he was doing a sweet a sweet thing on set with the with the oh, meteors. But yeah. but fill me in on um The octopus? The octopus and how it's going to make him a better actor. So the octopus was, and it was way back in the day. I think it was like 1986, so very early on in his acting career. Well, that's not contemporary. Of money. Well, no. The fact is, the facts don't need to be contemporary. First, I'm here now. But yeah, so this was way back in the day, uh, 1986, I believe, that he was talking about this. He spent 150,000, which is so crazy back then. I guess he was just like blowing money early on in his career. But my assumption, I couldn't get like a quote. I I saw this reported on from like several different places. Everyone was saying uh, he got it specifically to help his acting. there's a website actually out there called, I forget what it's called, but it's this database of celebrity pets. It has like, you can go and look at every celebrity and all of the different pets that they've owned, which is an interesting thing. And then his was pretty expansive. And I one can't. of the things was an octopus. I can't believe I lost my perfect record to this celebrity <laughs> pets dark web bullshit day from well, the 80s. So the- the thing that people were uh, um, assuming about this was that the reason he said he got it for acting so it was so he could write it off as like a tax thing. If this is oh. helping with his acting or something like that, he's he maybe is able to write some of it off, which Clever is girl. fucking insane. <laughs> Your tax dollars at work buying Nicholas, a young Nicholas Cage an octopus. Hey, to be fair, in the 80s, everybody was blowing their money, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, a pretty wholesome. Th- I mean, I'm sure he was also on cocaine showing people his octopus and stuff. I was about to say it's more wholesome if he's just, you know, investing money in his saltwater aquarium, but I could see him That's a pretty that's a pretty coked out I move could see to, him to get by a fucking octopus. Throwing coke onto like a big tendril of an octopus and trying to snort it in a line and it just get caught on his face. He's just oh. running around. That's that tracks. Yeah, so there we go. Uh, now we know that Nick has searched for the Holy Grail and that he, at one point in time, owned an octopus. We learn something every week here on Contemporary Cage. Um, moving on, uh, we're going to get into our movie that we watched this week. We watched Color Out of Space. Um, it's the color. 
It's the, it was like a color out of space. Out of space. Um, this is a 2019 movie. Came out like late last year. Uh, directed by Richard Stanley, starring Nicolas Cage, Jolie Richardson, Madeline Arthur, Elliot Knight, Tommy Chong, and Brendan Meyer. Uh, the story of co- a story of cosmic terror about the gardeners, a family who moves to a remote farmstead in rural New England to escape the hustle of the 21st century. They are busy adapting to their new life when a meteorite crashes into their front yard. The mysterious meteorite seems to melt into the earth, infecting both the land and the properties of with space-time uh, and strange otherworldly color. To their horror, the Gardner family discover that the alien force is gradually mutating every life form that it touches, including them. <sighs> so that's the movie. We watched it. Um, uh, it's like a pinkish purple. It's that- yeah. I would sort of say yeah, somewhere a magenta maybe. Um, it's pretty nice shade. And therein lies the problem of the movie. From the onset, I know what color this is. It's pinkish purple. Yeah. Guys, well, we all know this was doomed to fail, Dave. (laughs) I I didn't know. I was hopeful going into it. Um, I actually had fun. I had fun. Yeah. Um, So, uh, a little more background about this story. This is um, from XYZ Production. It's the third time Nick has worked with them. They also did Mom and Dad uh, Mm -hmm. and then Mandy. Uh, I haven't seen Mom and Dad in its completion. I've I've seen like half of it. Um, But, Derek, you've seen that before. We'll cover it at some point Mm -hmm. uh, in the future. Um, But as as you all know, we really enjoyed Mandy. Mandy was a a pretty exciting movie. And uh, they definitely, in the marketing for this movie, they were like, boom, producers of Mandy. What's up? Mandy, Mandy. Renaissance. That's how you know. Uh, Our movie's also purple. That's how you know something's bad because uh, they only reference producers of stuff when it's like, hey, this can't really stand on its own. Like, uh, what was that? movie that came out recently that was like the lord of the rings producers did this mm. and it was like yeah. terrible with like that's the, true the cgi the bigger the movie that is referenced by the producers when the trailer comes out the more you have to worry um yeah i i'm i have like a thing you know where there are certain production houses when i see their title title card in a in a trailer or something like that like a24 is a good example they've yeah. got a great track record right now yeah. I, I usually think i'll have like a, at least a, a a small amount of interest in in the majority of stuff that they put out but yeah when you see that like big text of uh, <laughs> where it's not like promoting the, the the director or the writer uh and it's just like the producers <laughs> were yeah. involved in this yeah. uh that can sometimes uh, signal signal uh, is a bad omen sometimes. To be fair, the to be fair, the color <laughs> out of oh. space. I mean, yes. it's a movie that has a lot of like uh, uh, visual language reg- uh, surrounding a horrific Lovecraftian color that's cosmic. So if you're gonna try to reference somebody, you might as reference might as well reference Randy. Because they obviously, if you listen to that ep, did a killer job of creating crazy cosmic psychedelic skies and universes and cosmic shit. Definitely. Yeah. 
Um, couldn't agree more. Okay, well, let's get into the movie a little bit. The movie, um, as I said, is about this family. I, I thought my the introduction to the family, I thought, oh, I think they're doing a good job of showing these people are all flawed. There's a nice um, dinner scene that they're all uh, seated at pretty early on that gives some characterization and kind of communicates the interpersonal relationship of all, all the different family members. And I, I thought that they did a decent job there of introducing everyone, um, showing the fact that there there are flaws, there's complications, there, there's challenges within this family group and dynamic. Not everyone is, you know, there there's a teen daughter who's very much a teen daughter who's a little uh, angsty and independent. Um, and and dad can be kind of corny with his jokes. That's that's Nick. There's a there's a stoner teen brother, and then there's a little brother who's kind of a scaredy cat, little coward. And then uh, mom is mom is really sweet, classic matriarch. Uh, she's she's dealing with cancer. Uh, she's she's sick, or is she recovered from cancer? Do you she know, has remember? cancer, and she's not yeah. necessarily as traditional in that she seems to be the breadwinner and does a lot of like high end business. Yes. Uh, which is like once in the attic. My that's kind of she represents my goal of um, once you get to a certain place in business, you can eventually have the leverage to work out in the country and still mm, make yeah, lots that of remote money. Work, yes, yeah. That's kind of her her bag. Um, but yeah, I, I liked that that introduction. I was like, oh, okay, this is doing a decent job investing me in these characters. Uh, the I think that that. It, it kind of doesn't build on characters a lot after that. I think that it kind of sort of uh, establishes everyone and then kind of just lets the movie run. Um, it, it kind of... An interesting thing, this is Richard Stanley's first movie since 1996. He hadn't directed a movie since 1996, which is uh, an interesting thing. He was like a very prolific uh, director throughout the 80s and the 90s. Uh, and this movie felt very much of that era to me. Um, there's some of the like traditional like archetypal characters. Tommy Tommy Chong plays sort of a, a conspiracy theory hippie guy, um, but it, it feels sort of like harkening back to that small town, maybe like a like a Spielberg small town or, or like the Gremlins type of family where it's like, oh, okay, this is about a family. We're meeting them all. There's gonna we're gonna introduce you to uh, their interpersonal relationships, their 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 character flaws and everything. And then uh, once you know them, and we've sort of spent a little bit of time up front investing you, then we're gonna send them on their journey. And it's it's not really about th their characters or their growth as much. I don't know. You might have had a, a different read of this, but uh, I don't know. I, and I think that stuff was successful. Did did you like the characters immediately, Derek? Uh. Okay, so the through line is definitely the daughter. She's kind of uh, yeah. the person that we experience everything with. Um, uh, I don't, it, I don't, it, I don't think the like stoner conspiracy theorist is all necessarily too much of an age of early to mid nineties. I mean, like Alfonso Cuarón used that in Children of Men not too long ago. How long ago was that? Early two thousands? Jesus. Um, Early two thousand, yeah, that was more, much more of like a grounded version of this character, though. I, I mean, this the, Tommy Chong is a, like a little caricaturish in this movie. Oh, everybody's caricaturish. Everybody yeah. in this movie is kind of a caricature because this is 
this movie is a cosmic horror movie, which is a very specific genre, a very specific subset of <laughs> horror. And uh, because it is horror, there has to be some amount of dissonance with the family dynamic, and uh, cancer is kind of also part of that because it's horror represents the fear festering within the back of all of our minds. But mm -hmm. so the characters would have hit a little bit better for me, if not for one of the biggest flaws of this movie. Uh, and that is there's bad writing and that can mean a lot of things. Sometimes it means like the structure of a plot's bad. Um, sometimes it means like um, uh, the pacing's bad, you know, cause that comes down to writing. But what I'm uh, specifically talking about is how canned a lot of the lines feel and how much of a like how much the character is kind of like chewing on a script um i wrote yeah. down a few examples um oh beautiful you know you're not supposed to say anymore that like that's not how people talk because you know sometimes in a script people don't have to talk exactly like people talk it's a movie you know you're telling a story but some things felt really canned, such as when Nicholas Cage's character is reminiscing um, about his past to his wife, and he says things like, oh, I can hear his intellectually abusive voice in my head now. That's a very mm. canned line that feels like an actor's reading a script. There's when the daughter meets... A little overwritten, yeah. Overwritten, that's a good way to say it. When, when the daughter meets her brother in the barn and we get introduced to him and his dog, and they're supposed to you know, put the fact that him and his dog are very close to each other, uh, which you can tell in many ways, but they decided to say like, oh, here's Benny. Oh, and Benny's partner in crime, who she says to her brother who she's seen a million times who she can't stand and his dog as if to say to just immediately break the fourth wall and say look audience my brother and the dog that he cares a lot about uh one one time there's a big uh, explosion sound and someone uh you know this is not something you would say if you were really scared but immediately goes oh that sounded like a propeller plane having an aneurysm this is a bit of a canned line uh things like yeah. that that's the biggest dissonance with the writing out of everything beyond some things being cheesier on the nose is the fact that the fear is handled very very poorly in this movie except for a very small amount of times which i'll go into later um mm -hmm. but basically how characters react to fear and how it affects them and how they psychologically sometimes get completely over it and are normalized to it right yes. on a dot um, and say things like, oh, you've nearly given me a heart attack is such a long-winded, strange, proper way to say that you got scared mm -hmm. so late in the movie when there has been so many horrific things that have already Absolutely. happened. Very dissonant, very strange, which makes all of the characters even more caricature -y, flat and on the nose. And that that's like the biggest kind of boil on, on this, on this movie, I, I would say. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I, I think like that, that's such a good way of putting it because you have, I, 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 at the front, I was sort of like onboarded with the characters a bit. There definitely is that cheesy dialogue. There's that, that cheesy di uh, writing, um, which is again, yeah, like a little overwritten. Um, but, once characters started to react to the phenomena in a way that was not grounded at all, was mm -hmm. more, it was like very, very filmic. Um, it, it's hard to, it's hard to feel fear when the character, when you don't have someone to like latch on and invest to, who's also feel, feeling fear um, in, in the film with you. And, and I think that um, 
one of the characters, uh, there's a character named Ward who is a hydrologist who comes onto their land who's doing uh, he, he's doing some tests, checking out the water tables there. There's going to be this big natural reservoir that's, that's put in. Uh, the mayor really wanted to buy this property so that they would help her build this natural res- reservoir. I, I liked Ward's character, uh, and, and I think he was like, he, uh, he he was a little more grounded, a little less like out of it, um, reacted in a more believable way to some of the like uh, like terrifying phenomena that happens in this movie. But uh, to talk more specifically about the point that you're making, there is a m- moment early on after the meteor hits, after some stuff g- starts going wonky, when they're kind of re- trying to return to normalcy, and mom is in the kitchen cutting up some carrots. Mm. The, uh, and then just a little side note, Nick is watching some uh, news footage of him getting interviewed. <laughs> Which is so a, primo. A funny primo uh, stuff on that interview. <laughs> I, yeah, I think we should go back and focus on that because it's it's uh, maybe one of the funnier moments in the movie. But mom is cutting carrots and kind of spaces out and chops two of her fingers off. Yeah. Loses it, chops two of her fingers off. They react to it like, Oh, it's a you know little boo boo. We're, we're gonna go to the <laughs> we're gonna go to the hospital. They leave the kids. Uh, Nick is like so non pressed by this that he is like pointing at the, his oldest son. Is like you're the man in charge of the house, buddy. While his his wife who who has cancer, obviously you're going to be protective, going to be worried about her. Had just chopped off two of her fingers. So there there's just no urgency. There's no believable reaction to scary stuff. And then. You know, if they can't react to something like that, they're you know when there's a giant uh, thing esque ap- alpaca blob later on <laughs> in the movie, and they're and they're like you know not reacting to that believable as well. Like y- you just you lack that point of investment um, to like look at someone. It, it, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, if the character in the movie who's facing this stuff isn't scared. Me on my couch, removed from it all, isn't going to be scared. By to, this. to be fair, it's a little on the campy side in general. It's got a little bit of that Evil Dead, like almost like fun horror house vibe sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. So, like in that way, it's not necessarily appropriate to have like it's such a real reaction. Although, like if you're gonna do Lovecraft, that's what it's all about, you know, like the horror. For sure. And and I hate to like bring it up again because we were talking about him last time, but like. That's what makes so much of Ari Aster's uh, horror so compelling is that Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily remember the horrific images. What you remember is the guttural scream or the contorted faces of the actors as they react to horror images. And that uh, makes it so much more compelling. Um, It's just inherently like I have read a good amount of Lovecraft and I I really do still love it a lot. And I really love cosmic horror. It's a very specific genre that I am super into uh, because it's kind of like a a mesh of like sci-fi fantasy and horror all in like one weird package. Um, So I had to kind of just take this movie for what it was, which is not necessarily the direction I would appreciate for that kind of genre, which is the more campy, highly saturated and um, like evil dead style, like horror than, than what really calls for in this movie. 
I just referenced there there is this big like I I think largely practical effect like uh one of the things one of Llama the mutations Blob. that that happens in this movie is that uh different creatures different genetic material becomes mutated together and it, it looks I, I I don't know if you thought about it but it reminded me a lot of the thing of course yeah it's a yeah, definitely an homage yeah definitely an homage but then you when you start thinking about the thing and you're invoking imagery from the thing which is such a good example of a movie that has uh i don't know if you would call it cosmic horror but body horror definitely i think i don't know if carpenter ever like talked about the thing being or if uh i guess it was like an an adaptation uh of of a book initially but i don't know if that was ever intended to be lovecraftian but there, there's a lot of like the practical effects and visual language of uh, the body horse stuff in here that is so, so reminiscent of the thing, uh, which like holds up so well. But the thing that like makes the thing so great is how grounded and how concerned with realism and how concerned with like real human characterization and like that real descent into madness as a as a group and the the breaking of trust in in that group and, and that and everything that comes with it try, really trying grappling trying to maintain your grip on reality when everything all of this feedback that you're getting from the world is pushing you in a different direction um yeah if, if any if any work of fiction should try to take specific care about portraying a fall into madness it should be anything based off of hp lovecraft obviously that's mm-hmm. like that's like the spark notes of everything that he does and uh there's definitely like there's a moment and i want to just talk about this now um so yeah. that we don't spoil it because i do want to keep a moment in the movie spoiler free um and we can talk around it and stuff but um basically in the midst of all this campiness um there is a moment of true horror where they really withhold a lot of what Nicolas Cage and his son are seeing. It's basically yeah. the fate of the mother and the youngest son. Uh, and you don't really get an idea of exactly what happens to them. All you see is Cage's reaction, which sells pretty well. Um, it's almost just complete blank shock and confusion mixed with surreal horror that breathes for a little bit before they bring them into the house. Um, And then once they bring them into the house, people get too normalized to it. They start saying lines like, I think it sucked the charge out of my car. And I don't think it just manipulates this. I think it also manipulates time as well. And they're like, just like basically in a horror fashion, like uh, telling the audience the rules. But if like they're, it's still a disturbing sequence. What happens to really them? Really is Super and like upsetting. there are these moments where if you just let it breathe, where you can't even quantify and no lines even have to be said, and you just yeah. rest in that horror and that madness. It's done really, really well in a movie that I wish the director of this movie. Uh, had something to do with because it's my favorite like cosmic horror that's come out recently and that's Annihilation with Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also made a, a an Annihilation note. Yeah, so Love like Annihilation, one of my faves. There's a great moment at the end which I won't necessarily spoil, but she's coming face to face with like surreal outer world horror. Um, the visual effects are amazing, and there is just a a lot of time where no lines are being said, 
and she's just living in the reality of witnessing what she's witnessing for a while and interacting with it. And even in the the theater or wherever you're watching it, you get this kind of self-awareness of just how out there the, the situation is. And it's almost like it's a, it's affecting you in a way that it's affecting the character, you know, and like those mm-hmm. quiet moments of grappling with trying to connect what you're seeing uh, with reality is exactly what like Lovecraft does so well for paragraphs and paragraphs in silent moments. And yeah. there was a little bit of that in this movie during the most horrific part that I think everyone will probably be able to understand what it is when they do watch it. But uh, having to do with the, with the mother and the son, I wanted to like uh, get ahead of that uh, bef- just in case we talked about it. No, yeah, definitely. Uh, no, I think that's a good um, thing, especially because this is something that people totally could be interested yeah. in. Yeah, uh, and it's out worth still. a watch. Like, it's not totally. dog shit. Like, if you if you love horror and cosmic horror and you can put up with bad writing, you're not as snobby as us. It's definitely entertaining enough. It's tense for for a yeah, lot of parts. Yeah, and like the things I, I made a um, a note about Annihilation as well. Like the fact that it made me think about the thing and made me think about Annihilation. Those are like good movies to invoke. Um, but but the thing is, I, I I think that this movie had a bit of uh, a crisis of identity because in the moment that you're talking about, it's not going for sort of a campy evil tone at all it very much is is moving far far away from that to like real uh, you know upsetting uh like i think i also wrote uh this movie is nasty (laughs) at a certain (laughs) part because there is it's like it is it's really grotesque and upsetting and it feels um, separate from the movie it feels like oh you've been watching this movie and we've been having fun we've been on this carnival ride oh shit like it's almost like a fourth wall breaking strange horror right and if they really wanted to go for that tone throughout the whole movie um i think that they would have needed to massively scale back the dialogue and really simplify it uh, and just really let people's reactions and, and actors on you know thinking about annihilation which is also a movie about a group of people going into a location that is slowly affects and mutates them and how little of that is communicated between the people who are in that space in mm-hmm. Annihilation. Um, you as a viewer is still, it, it, you know exactly as much as they know, like moving through it, but no, so little of it is said. It's a really quiet movie, not a lot of dialogue in it. Um, and and just, yeah, the way that they're able to convey that. Uh, of course, then in this movie, we have uh, Nick, who Richard Stanley said his favorite Nick Cage performance is Nick in Vampire's Kiss, which mm. there's that that infamous scene of him walking down the street in I'm New a York vampire. City yelling, I'm a vampire, <laughs> I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, over and over again. One of the cagiest like performances, yeah. kind of the uh, the moment where he established that that was like something he really liked to, to do on screen, uh, and. He uh, and Richard Stanley said he's like I want that type of a performance in this movie, and Cage gives it, and it's it is this this tonal so it gives you this sort of tonal whiplash, um, 
between the, those moments where it's like, this is so upsetting. I, I, I like this character a lot. It's really sad that this is happening to them. This is also just like a horrific thing uh, to these moments where it's like, oh, I guess that's a comedic beat, like, or at least like that's a comedic delivery. I think that the intention well, of, yeah. it's So this movie is so much of our time in that it is so referential to so many things but not mm-hmm. very good or thought out as a thing itself which kind of represents a lot of our like postmodern sensibilities now where everything yeah. is just like a bite-sized like reference to something that came before and uh cage's performance it's very easy to draw the parallels between what's happening to him and his slow descent and the shining the entire plot of the shining um mm. and like that's you know there's like a little bit of a Shining movie in this movie. There's a little bit of Evil Dead in this movie. There's a little bit of like a real Lovecraftian horror and cosmic horror in this movie. There's a little bit of, there's a lot of bit of the thing in this movie, but it doesn't have much of its own. And it's, it's really honestly pretty botched. Like just the fact that I'm hearing that the director loves that performance and wanted that performance like that in this movie shows me a lack of like thoughtfulness that like, you don't just go into the movie retrofitting Cage freaking out. That's not how you Definitely. deal with our boy Cage. Like you give him a character that gets put to the edge and then Cage can realize it without forcing it, you know? And like his Cage, he has a lot of great Cagey moments, but it, mm-hmm. it is, it, it does feel dissonant. And I will say he sounds so much like, like a funny Trump impression in so many of these scenes. If you watch it again, David, it's it's so weird, his character choice, because there's basically crazy angry cage that starts happening as the virus takes over and like as he gets like uh-huh. descended and he very like here's johnny you know but yeah. then once he's been completely indoctrinated and he is just like a vessel of this alien basically um he has this much better performance that I like a lot where he's very feeble and out there and barely himself. And I mean, feeble is the biggest word. Like it's not his like crazy oppressive madness, like energy infused machismo nut job shit. It's like this weird, uh, like, uh, just like, like Voldemort in the subway or whatever, where he's the little fetus. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. You get this like false sense of like i i you see this feebleness and you have this dissonance where it's like i'm scared of this person but they are projecting some type of weakness but they also seem like volatile and unpredictable and i'm not sure of like what they're capable of yeah yeah um but yeah so he does i'll say watching i i was sort of thinking and and maybe like making a bit of a maybe making like some excuses for for the type of performance he was giving because I I do totally agree with you it is disappointing to point to another movie that doesn't really have anything to do with what you're striving to achieve Mm -hmm. with this movie I think that's how you end up with like a Frankenstein where you have dissonant elements and you you create that tonal whiplash um and I, I I sort of was thinking you know Nick is uh a character in this movie who uh, his his wife is is dying of cancer. He has a bit of a drinking problem, and when you kind of see that unraveling, and you add that with the mania that will come uh, with a, a an alien meteorite like hitting 
your 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 property like it it's like oh this kind of makes sense that he's going crazy in this way mm-hmm. but it also feels a little when we're seeing like new exciting stuff from him like in Mandy I kind of am like oh I don't necessarily want him to like return to that as well, much it's a little less exciting and with Mandy he does do a classic cage freakout and it feels so much more reminiscent to like the big classic movies because mm-hmm. it is handled thoughtfully and makes right. sense for the eruption of his character. Whereas this is that classic contemporary cage. That's an oxymoron, but that, that like contemporary cage, like conundrum where uh-huh. he's being memified almost like, and he's, yeah. and he's, and he's uh, feeding this, like this machine, of like his reputation being like churned out as this like weird action plastic action figure and it's it's it ain't right that's not what we that's not no no yeah um i I will say we we teased it earlier there's a very very funny moment uh when and there's a there's a number of like funny moments where if if you truly are coming into this just for the nicholas cage performance and you the cage i think yeah, I'll get into this more like when we're wrapping up our thoughts, but I do think that this is a good movie to have on in a group setting and, and oh, you're drinking hell with, some, with yeah. somebody. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Like party time, let's watch yes. a funny cage movie that's also kind of scary and crazy. Get some popcorn, mm-hmm. get some beers, play a drinking game, have people over. I want to scream at the screen and say totally. stupid shit. This is a great movie for that. It's a fun movie for that. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and one of one of my favorite things, and this like. It totally works. It's not him being super, like, it's not him doing the super, like, cagey, perfunctory, um, like, those moments that feel almost like a little, like, performative in, in, like, a shitty way for him. Um, But when he's, he gives an interview, a local radio (laughs) station comes to their house because a meteor has hit. And he's giving an interview to to them, (laughs) like, a little out of sorts and stuff. And then... They cut to um, them having dinner and like all the kids are watching it and sort of giggling. And he's like, couldn't one of you have given me like a comb or something? Couldn't I get a fucking comb through my hair? (laughs) And like in the in the video, he does look so fucking bad. Yeah. (laughs) And And they have like the the Chiron, the media Chiron of like uh, like local man uh, declares a UFO. And he's like, I didn't even say that. One of you guys said that. I didn't say UFO. You said UFO. He's like pointing at the screen and shit. He's got he's got great stuff for that. Like when he gets to play in that space, like there's there comes a time when like. Uh, the crazy surrealness of his property is starting to just become normalized to him because he's like almost halfway indoctrinated and his skin is like turning and he's like going through the garden picking tomatoes and like all these tomatoes are like enormous because they're like hopped up on alien juice yeah and he, alien tomatoes and he goes in the kitchen and he's just like taking a bite of one and throws it in the sink and then he grabs another giant one and takes a bite of it and throws it in the sink and he gets faster and faster as his wife's like bitching him out and then he just yells at her and starts throwing the tomatoes in the garbage can so like he jumps so high up in the air and swings his arm all the way down and he just starts yeah. like hitting you with stuff like slam dunk Coming yeah, up, doing like one eighty <laughs> slam dunks into the trash can. It's it, which is like I know that he improvised a lot on this movie, which which makes sense. Uh, yeah, but there's there's some great great line yeah. deliveries. It's yeah. just I wish that they had chosen um, which direction they wanted to lean a little more because I think that this could have been like 
an incredibly fun movie. I still think it is a fun movie, um, but maybe not so much in t- it, in the ways that they intended it to be yeah. fun. I, I mean, know. like pick a lane a little bit more, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's the way to put it, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like, uh, is there anything else specific to the movie or do you want to get into our final thoughts for this one? Um, uh, I mean, I'm, I feel, I mean, I feel fine about it. Uh, oh, we could talk a little bit. Tommy Chong, I think is really funny and good and well used in the movie. He plays this guy, uh, I forget his name, but he plays this guy who is like in a shack and he is a classic sort of hippie conspiracy theorist, uh, who's smoking weed and hanging out with a, a cat and i thought it was just kind of fun to see him pop up yeah he's good and like uh yeah i don't know that i'm thinking about the ending too just for because like there are parts of this movie where it becomes so much more unmistakably lovecraft like um mm-hmm. even the idea of the hydrologist a young like right. hydrologist that's like uh kind of on the the outskirts of these events and like kind of unfolding it and trying to be a hero like is very lovecraft and totally it's it's and they try to homage ends up this will be interesting to you so um uh what's his name robert stanley is that what i said richard stanley he said he has said he wants this to be the first in a trilogy Mm. uh and yeah where that character ends up i'm like oh i'd i'd watch this guy go yeah investigate i mean he he ends up actually he he was good yeah yeah he was like a fun hero to root for um elliot knight way to go buddy (laughs) good job buddy and then it does end like so on the nose lovecraft like he's got like the detective hat and the the coat and he's like you know a graying I've, I, beard i've seen like things 26. yeah 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 so like i would love a trilogy about people uncovering lovecraftian horrors but mm-hmm. uh and then also that character's name ward howard Lo- howard p lovecraft i think a reference probably to to the man himself to the man himself that's to what that. his character which by the way i don't know if people are gonna be saying this i don't know but like i am totally aware that lovecraft as a personal human being was kind of a <laughs> racist piece of shit like i understand yeah. that like i and separate I his fiction from it and I, I don't appreciate that about him and that sucks a hundred percent that's a good thing i was gonna bring that up too uh as sort of like a, an acknowledgement of something this movie does well is that Lovecraft is someone who is adapted and in, influences so much work. So many people say like this is a, a Lovecraft-inspired uh, project. There was just a game that came out, a detective like uh, a role-playing game uh, that was that's heavily inspired by Lovecraft. And I know that that kind of got there was there was a bunch of shit in there that's like yo that you can't do this in a modern time anymore. You just can't handle this stuff the same way that Lovecraft handled it like back in the mm-hmm. day. Uh, and he probably shouldn't have handled it back in the day. Like there were probably people who were aware that it wasn't cool even back then. But when you see it, but th- this movie chooses the stuff that it wants. It, it definitely cherry picks the stuff and doesn't bring any of the problematic baggage of Lovecraft into yeah. this movie. Yeah. Well, you know, he was a freaking nerd who's like mother, like mama's boy who stayed in an attic his whole life and was afraid to go outside. So. Mm-hmm. anybody who wasn't like in his immediate facility was like vicinity was like a terror <laughs> Just for why sure. he was ascribing horror to everything um, yeah but um, like i don't know i don't know why like that game that you're talking about and this movie and all like lovecraftian stuff kind of ends up always being like low budget and kind of like 
um, handled in a way that's like a little bit more campy or a little bit more dry. I don't know why that is. Like why I feel like it lends itself so much to like high horror, like the Ari Aster stuff. Um, but mm. I'll always have the the fiction and stuff is always like just mwah. they read a little bit in the beginning and end. And even those little excerpts were just like, oh, I just eat that. I drink that milkshake. Yeah. I think the game was called The Sinking City, which I've yes. heard good stuff about. Just yeah. like, some unfortunate uh, elements were included. Um, but yeah, let's. Uh, I, I, I couldn't good. agree more with that, though, Derek. Um, uh, I, I, I also. There, there's elements here where I'm like, oh, this is so cool, like visually or thematically. But um, I do wish that someone. That, that there was that sort of like. Um, prestige like version of this that existed in modern times uh, yeah i don't think that we've gotten one in in a little bit um, and we're ripe yeah, for it's... it i mean the world is so horrific like it's so funny to watching this movie in the midst of all this coronavirus stuff and like the weird neurotic fear that's mm-hmm. like kind of plaguing everybody's subconscious right now um yeah in, about a movie about like you know like this exterior force that's like uh, organically weaving its way into the people around us and stuff oh my god oh, I'm, oh no. um but yeah i will also say uh i think annihilation might just be that movie that you're kind of hoping for yeah like, it, there is a lot of similar stuff of like body horse stuff like giant existential questions like what is this how expansive is this is this something that is like small and contained and personal or is this something that like spells doom for the entire world like a lot of that stuff is present in annihilation which is and like so good i've always loved alien movies and i realized it's because i love horror like lovecraft like arrival is pretty much just a lovecraft story Mm. like it's literally tentacle monsters that have like knowledge of the universe um and there's a lot of like close encounters of the fourth kind in this movie too that's the thing that's every movie that's like ever been made (laughs) (laughs) like in terms of horror or sci-fi horror that's probably what happens when you are a director who stops making movies for 20 plus years Mm -hmm. and then finally gets the opportunity to do it again and that's maybe what happened maybe he was sort of like in that supermarket sweep thing where he's grabbing too many items off the shelf and throwing it all into one cart yeah it Um, seemed like too many moments of oh yeah that's cool or that would look cool or that's awesome yeah and not enough like i'm gonna make a fucking movie uh but Um, that's just me yeah but for our final thoughts um you know, we we had a, a more like heady conversation. I think that there was also maybe a conversation where we just celebrated what was fun about this movie, but yeah. I, I think that would have been kind of disingenuous to how we both actually felt and came away from this movie because the movie is actively trying to be something beyond that uh, so frequently. But again, a a great movie if you are someone who is like i love seeing wacky bold cage uh this is a great movie to put on it's colorful and pretty you'll like turn to the screen and like because it is such a a, like a vocal or a verbal like dialogue heavy movie you'll be able to catch like ridiculous lines even though you're if you are in like a, a group watch setting uh having some fun uh there's there's Almost, so many moments of like cage being ridiculous um and it's almost yeah, like I mars attacks this, vibe of like fun creepy stuff going on to go have fun with yeah 
Totally. Yeah. When, if like, a, this is the, for me, this is the reason that we uh, have a good bad. This is, a yeah, good this bad. is a classic good this bad. This is a classic good bad. Great to throw on, uh, fun to have on in the background to talk over. Um, yeah. A fun movie. It, it gets a good bad for me. Yeah, good bad for me. This is this is um it reminds me of uh I think my dad would like this movie because I don't go to the movies with him much, you know, we're busy and we're grown men, you know, at this point. But uh we watched grown men can go to the movies together. Nope, not not in California. Um in we watched um A Quiet Place. And mm. um he really liked it, right? And mm-hmm. I did too, you know, I, I did. I think anybody who watches that and anybody who knows me would know that I would have some like critiques about some of the weird plot holes. And I remember I was driving home with him and he was just like, yeah, it's good. It's just good. It's just good. You know, like he's not a film guy. He's not an art guy. So he just kept saying that it was good, you know, cause you, you're yeah. not really expressing it. And then I was like, yeah, I did like it. And I tried to like say something to the effect of like, I didn't really believe that like the room he was in was actually lived in. It was so funny how his whiteboard had like four words on it. And it was like clearly like set up like just uh, I was just kind of like picking apart like that. And he like stopped me and was like, well, you could, you know, you could pick it apart and say that kind of stuff. But it was a good movie. (laughs) He's like got angry about it. And I was like, oh, okay, we're not having those conversations about the movie. No, I I, I've had that interaction so many times with different people yeah uh, where there's it's nothing just wrong like, with that y- no it's great a part of me wishes that i could turn off like the more critical part of my brain and just watch movies and tv shows like that yeah. <laughs> like it would be like there's something kind of nice about it about getting out of a movie and just being like oh that existed in the time frame that i saw it and now that i'm out of it i'm on to something else like i'm moving on i enjoyed watching it not going to think about it. And also not to like even say that it has anything to do with like thoughtfulness or intelligence. No, not at all. It's literally the fact that like some people that aren't me are much better at compartmentalizing movies and media and understanding that they're not that important and that they're just a fun experience. And it's just people on a set trying to make entertainment. And then there's people like me who know like everything about the eras in between each star Wars movie. And it's like a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, but I I think, yeah, it is exactly that. It's, it's some people like to, their engagement of a movie lasts over the course of its runtime, and then once it's over, it's like over. I, I'm I'm moving on, yeah. uh, and of course that's totally fine. But uh, no one listening feels that way, I'm sure, because you're <laughs> listening to an insane movie podcast uh, by two about a bunch of neurotic, no one should probably be pretentious weirdos. That's right, silly movies. Um, okay, good. So bads. now that we both uh, slapped it with a couple of good bads, it's time for a little segment that we call. Cage match. Cage match. Alrighty, Derek. Um, and cage match, as you all know, this is brought is to you by Coca Cola Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get ready to cage match. Um, yeah. where we decide where this movie falls in the p- pantheon of contemporary cage films. Uh, is this top of the barrel? Is this middle of the crop? Is this the bottom bedrock worst movie ever made? Um, and of course, our current list right now is Mandy, Joe, Bad Lieutenant, Dog Eat Dog, The Frozen Ground, National Treasure 2, Stolen, Grand Isle, Kill Chain, Outcast, Ghost Rider, Primal, Pay the Ghost, Sorcerer's Apprentice, and at the bottom of the barrel, knowing forever shall it remain. 
forever. Um, so those are our movies. Derek, um, I'm going to send you over a list, but is there is there... Where, where are you thinking? I, I think that this is a mid to high tier. Correct. Film. Yeah. So it's very similar to what happened last time. Um, I would say like, um, uh, what is the one we watched? Grand Isle. It, it kind of Grand Isle kind of has the same things going for it, where it's a good bad and it's like a fun ride. But I think this is, while this doesn't have a great ending, it beats the shit out of Grand Isle's ending and has a little bit more production value, a little bit more fun screen candy, a little bit just more fun in general. Uh, while Agreed. having that moment that I didn't want to spoil, that is a decently good horror movie moment too. So it's it's For well me. well above Grand Isle, well above Stolen. Now, I don't... Th- so it's... It's well below Port of Call. So we're in the Frozen Ground, National Treasure, Stolen area uh, of the list. It's fitting somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm thinking, you know what? I would put this movie, I, I would put this movie above National Treasure. Well, I definitely would put it below Frozen Ground, at least. I'll say that because I, I yeah. out of respect for how the director used Cage as a performer, um, mm-hmm. I don't think that it was as thoughtful uh, in this movie. Yeah. Um, National Treasure and this definitely both have like the most colorful and expensive productions. Yes. Um, of, like, so anything. I think like if we want to do some like categories or tiers in this movie, I would say Mandy, Joe, Bad Lieutenant, Dog Eat Dog, or Mandy, Joe, Bad Lieutenant are all great movies. Top tier. Dog Eat Dog and the Frozen and Frozen Ground are like interesting, well executed uh, good movies enough. that are like yeah, they're doing something. Then National Treasure, Stolen, Grand you know, Isle, uh, Grand Isle are are fun. Yeah, good bad. Kill territory. Chain starts like building the bridge between that and just crap. Yeah, Kill Chain is sort of a, a drop off point where it starts getting bad. Um, so I would say I would say under, but I think it is more fun and and a better just pop it on party movie than National Treasure and Stolen. At least National Treasure too. We don't have National Treasure on the list, right? Um, but I, I do think you know we watched National Treasure too. It is, it is like so plotty and ridiculous, and there's there's lots of. Um, it's there, very very yeah. very digestible. I mean, it's still heady and weird, and like the the you can't mm-hmm. really figure That's out the true. plot, but like the the arcs and the scenes and the dialogue and like the fun and the love and the and the action is really like disney digestible whereas yeah. this uh is you know it's a it's a horror movie um so yeah. it's very different and like i think the writing a national treasure is better than this i oh, would definitely. say um uh, yeah that's a good point um yeah that's true i think national treasure might be National Treasure, I think, is a better movie, but I, I, I'm like, I'm thinking about <laughs> just the, I, I, I almost just said without like any irony, fun factor, which is like <laughs> one of those like box art quotes that you would see on a like video 90s, game in like yeah. the two thousand early two thousands <laughs> yeah. like, uh, the fun factor in this, you know, uh, but yeah, I do think that if you consider the fun factor of uh, Color Out of Space. 
it it, it might be it might put it above National Treasure, but it's you know a tough what? call because National Treasure, where it does beat Kalara Space, it beats it pretty soundly. Like I would say, somehow cohesion, definitely cohesion of tone, yeah, beats the definitely. shit out of it. Writing in general, it's by the books and it's nothing too fancy, but it's better. Yeah. I think the cage freakout in National Treasure is actually pretty damn fun too, where he's like stomping his feet. Um, yes, but color out, uh, color out of space though, like. The cage freakouts are a little bit more unhinged and a little bit more playful and a little bit more fun. Mm -hmm. And even a little more lead. Yeah. Honestly, that one scene does a lot for it. The scene that I don't want to spoil in terms of like the horror factor, but like, you know what? But I do think like this is kind of a, you know, when you think about it and and we kind of criticized it for this earlier, but I, I also think that there's a way that you can sort of make an argument for it. When you think about everything that has gone on with Cage, both in the public's perception of him and uh, and like in his personal life and, and over the course of his career, and you think like, oh, he's doing a pretty wacky Lovecraftian like horror movie where he is doing these, this throwback to one of his most insane performances in the 90s. I'm like, oh, that is kind of... I do kind of want to put that up. I, I kind of want to encourage people to go and, and Yeah, see I mean, that. like, if you're going to have a party and you're going to put on a Cage movie, like, you're going to put this on way before National Treasure, like, yeah. two. <laughs> uh, yeah. At least, like, this is something I I don't want to necessarily say original because it's it is literally just an amalgam of a bunch of recycled ideas. Right, and an adaptation of a short story. Yeah, um, but this, this is a tough one. I mean, you, cause like we, it's been a minute since we watched national treasure, you know, and that like affects it. Um, we just watched this. You know what? I, I will say one of the things national treasure is way too long. And I remember being bored through sections of that movie and I definitely wasn't yeah. bored through any of this. Yeah. The pacing is um, probably better in this. Yeah, um, and I, I totally hear all of your points about national treasure being like a more competent right movie it's it's a it, that movie if you remember cost 130 yeah 130 million dollars to make and it's Jesus. like and when you think about that and then you think about that that was a pretty bad movie i don't know and versus versus this which is like a little more out there it might not I be think, our cup of tea yeah. it's weird because it pisses yeah. off like the really like i think horror and cosmic horror people in general kind of can be a little hoity-toity about like things in this genre you know so mm-hmm. that can also color the reception of it i mean it's i'll i would put it over national treasure it's but it's totally defining that tier of like it's almost yeah. like it's hard to even think that it's not self-aware sometimes and how kind of cheesy it is. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it must be with the performance and like the knowing how much he improvised in the specific takes that they chose of him. Yeah. There, there's a, there's one specific line read that I love so much after he and his wife get back from the hospital and uh, their their youngest son is outside and stuff has been going wild for the kids and they're trying to explain it to uh to, to cage and he's just like uh what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> yes yeah, so and it's like <laughs> it's it's such he like has a, so it, many good moments like that yeah i think i think that they're ultimately you know this is contemporary cage yeah and i think it is 
it is a better cage movie. It's probably more self-aware than we give it credit for. Um, That's true, yeah. And, like, um, you're you're right. I mean, it's easy to get down on it, uh, but uh, what is there is better than National Treasure 2, I think, in terms of our boy Cage and in terms of the pulpiness and campiness of this wacko movie and like some of the visual effects, the prey mantis is not good and I don't think it was necessary. Mm -hmm. But other than that, like some of the like garden stuff and some of just like the exterior, like wide exteriors are pretty fucking cool. Like definitely it's a, yeah, really cool visual stuff. It's a silly, fun, crazy psychedelic romp of well-tread ground that, that works. Here's what I'll say. This will be my last thing that I need to say about it. I think that going into the movie, not knowing a lot about it, uh, it misleads you at moments about what type of movie it wants to be. But now that I know, now that I've seen it in its completion and I know what type of movie it is, I think I would have a lot more fun rewatching it. Yeah. Now that I'm like primed for the specific movie, I'm like, okay, it's never going to become this thing that it is hinting at and on my first watch through i thought oh it, it might go down this route and be a little more serious and a little more genuinely horrifying and upsetting uh and because it might value like wackiness over that uh and it sort of detracts from some of those more um more like horrific upsetting moments uh you know but now that I, now that i've got a handle on what type of movie it is i I think I I think I feel good about putting it above National Treasure. Me too. You don't have any. I believe yeah. it should. I mean, honestly, like I'm coming around on it just in general in this conversation. Like, if you really just try to be positive on it and not be so critical, it really is a celebration of a lot of different ideas and and like landmark moments and and like movie like concepts and like huge parts of the genre like. It's very much like the Super Smash Ultimate. Everyone is here. <laughs> it's just yeah. like a fucking mess. You know, it's like like uh, when you try to mix all the flavors when you're a kid or something and it just turns into a gray yes. mush. But like it's, you know, I, I'll give it for sure above National Treasure Book of Secrets. I'm fine with that. Absolutely. Okay. So that's great. It's uh, It's got our sixth slot. Um, and uh, that's great. So wonderful. Color out of space in between the frozen ground and national treasure. Um, Moving on, Derek. Yep. We're going to get into a little segment that we call Cage News. Our classic scatting segment before we get into the news. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, not a huge news week for us here uh, on on Contemporary Cage, but it uh, on the pod. We we talked a little bit last week about uh, Nick's new girlfriend, um, twenty nice twenty six year. Yeah, you sound like just like the tabloids. Everybody leads with that, you know. Let the man Uh, live. You know, no judgments, but he, he seems like he might be taking some time off of work. He was spotted. Um, uh, he's been out uh, in public with uh, th- his new boo quite a bit, and he was spotted um, in New York getting a carriage ride in Central Park. Oh, my God. So they were having a carriage, uh, a little carriage ride. Some people, I will say, some people were saying, like, uh you know, TMZ was like reporting that um, you know, people that saw them said that they weren't talking a lot. Who cares? <laughs> You're just enjoying each other's company. You 
damn vultures. You want to just stop criticizing everybody else's romance and see what's going on in your own life, Mister mm-hmm. Mister MZ. I actually think that's a really a, a good example of of closeness is being able to be quiet with someone. You know, I, you know, when you're able to just hang out with someone like a friend or something like that, and just be on your phone the whole time, and you don't feel that like need to be like, oh, I need to fill up this. Oh, I just I, I think, always see that as you just being super rude. <laughs> yeah, I I will uh, when I'm with Derek. I will. Before we start the podcast, I do not say anything to him. He's pretty <laughs> much addicted to it. Angry Birds over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they've got all these other ones. I can't get past the first, the original Angry Birds. Those little pigs. They're too tough. No. Um, but yeah, so uh, we wish him well, of course. We hope that he's doing well and that he's enjoying some, you know, good R&R time with his new boo, uh, riding carriages, doing romantic, fun stuff that we'll you see, do. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I mean, maybe um, maybe a little uh, Kal-El 2, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Superman, the return of Superman. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, well, that's it. That's the only piece of news we have. <laughs> well, it's on that, you know, it's what everybody's thinking about. Yeah. Everybody in uh, And then also, I'm sure this wasn't reported, but I'm sure it's going on. I, I, I bet the CDC has been in contact with him, is asking for his opinion. What are we going to do about this coronavirus, Nick? Uh, is there any way you could step in you've and played, help us out? You've played a lot of professors, a lot of out there doctors and, and men of science. So we come to you our most desperate hour. Do is there a pan, a Nicolas Cage pandemic movie? Well, knowing is kind so. of an end of the world. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we should do another apocalypse uh, type movie. Um, you know what? I think we are. I'm going to change it up. I had something chosen, but last moment I'm going to choose something that's more thematically specific to, to just to fuel uh, my anxiety. The more <laughs> thematically specific to the inner turmoil of Derek's emotional landscape. Yes, sir. We are going to watch Left Behind. A small group of survivors are left behind after millions of people. This is more of a uh, what's the what's the term when the hail mary? <laughs> what is it when the religious people it's the, they ascend and everyone else is left behind? David, it's the religious people who crucified Christ. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? What is yeah, it? it's called a Hail Mary. What's the leftovers called? What is the leftovers? Hail about? Mary. Oh my God. That's what it's called. I went to church. Uh, a rapture. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> hey, a rapture. Careful, man. Don't put that on us. <laughs> yeah, sorry for taking your name in vain, my friend. Um, but yes, uh, this is Left Behind, a 2014 movie. Uh, Nick is a pilot in this. A small group of survivors are left behind after mil- millions of people suddenly vanish. That's what we're going to watch. <sighs> Great. I will say uh, we've gotten, we've had a lot of fun movies that have made it pretty high in the rankings. This one has a 12 on Metacritic. Ooh, oh, man, Dave. going to ruin. Next weekend's my I mean, birthday is, weekend, Dave. You're going to make me watch that? Happy birthday, buddy. Got you a real stinker. Um, maybe uh, you'll be raptured away, and you won't even have to watch it. Hey, here's to hoping. I pray. Um, 
thank you guys so much for listening. I haven't been saying this at all. I don't think. At, no, you're an ungrateful um, son of a bitch, Dave. But but I'm gonna <laughs> ask something of y'all. If you guys, oh, and now he's asking. To, God. Go on to iTunes uh, and rate, review the podcast. That would be really meaningful to us if yeah. you're enjoying it at all. That is like the it's main true. way that you can get people uh, sort of direct attention. Also, tell your friends if if you know if you got some friends and maybe casually bring up the Cage Man in conversation, as both Derek and I do when we're out with friends. Whenever uh, we if, can, if you get a positive response say oh yeah you know what a uh, random idea a random thought check out this podcast it's called contemporary cage two hunks host it and they're uh mm. they're cool and funny and nice uh you know the more we could maybe get ratings and get discovered you know not even for our own vanity but it gives us some muscle so if you like the show and maybe not want to have to like turn your car speaker up really loud because our microphones are pretty old and (laughs) shitty um we could eventually get new mics or maybe we could actually have some pull with some uh cage representatives and maybe make this a real thing and i could meet my hero cage on the pod exactly Um, yeah so yeah and and thank you uh a handful of y'all have have reached out and and said very very nice things about uh about the new season and are excited that it's back so thank you for that um if you guys want to reach out to the show you can do it at cage pod on twitter is it at cage pod on instagram as well instagram is at cage pod but you can also search for contemporary cage but the handle is at cage pod beautiful you can do that on twitter as well so if you guys want to uh send a direct message or interact i've been having fun uh i've been retweeting some sort of like cage specific tweets on the contemporary cage one uh twitter account some really fun stuff what have what have i been tweeting there was a uh, uh alex navarro who's uh a, a, a certified cage head that i follow he's a he's a video game critic but he, he likes the cage man he's part of the cage niche. um he tweeted a collection of uh, the evolution of um, the Between Worlds, which is a pretty recent Nicolas Cage movie, uh, the posters. And Derek, I'll just flip through these really quick. So there's this oh, one to start with. Yeah, I've seen these. Sort of a classic. Yeah. But then, oh, a little more. This is making for great audio. Uh, yeah, there's there's a real interesting uh, evolution to this. So this is a cool sort of uh, content that you get to see if you um, if you uh, follow us on Twitter at CagePods. So and then make I, sure to do that, good listener. I just started taking over the Instagram, so oh, yeah. by the time you hear this episode, we'll have there's going to be content. There should be plenty, 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 plenty for you to get your greasy little fingers on. And um, fill your nasty little eyeballs with, and yep. um, it's funny stuff. I mean, I get to do the David gets to do the Twitter and all that, and he's very, you know, wow, he's really great at, at making things wonderful. But uh, you gotta go to the Instagram to really see yeah, where Instagram Derek is plays. About to be popping. Yeah, that's where that's where the real Cage Nation gets their fix. So you know how uh, this is, we're getting we're going a little long on this one, but you know how there's those filters where you're like, oh, what uh, you know, what fucking uh, office character are you? Oh and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Oscar or whatever. Mm-hmm. You you and I should get on and do yeah. some stories and figure out. I'm sure there's a filter for what uh, Cage we are. Yeah. What cage Stuff man like we are? 
Yeah. We could do a little Q&A on there. We could do a little uh, Instagram Live or something. Oh. We could have lots of fun. I got plenty of A's. It's a good platform. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be watching Left Behind next week. Unfortunately. And stay cagey. Yep. Eat your vitamins. <laughs>